This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It's Chris Amania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man, oh, with the powerful you. questions. <laughs> Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! What is going on, my friends? And welcome back to the Chris Van Vliet Show. I'm your host, Chris Van Podcast. This episode... Is brought to you by Bet Online. I hope that you're doing well. I hope that things are slowly getting back to normal where you live. And if you were an ECW fan like I was, oh man, <laughs> you are gonna love this chat with Spike Dudley. I mean, he really hasn't done a lot of interviews lately. He really doesn't do a lot of interviews, and you'll hear in our conversation here, he doesn't watch wrestling like at all anymore. But He's obviously left a huge legacy, not just with ECW, but in WWE as well. And he opened the door for a lot of smaller guys to come in. And he was able to show them that it's possible to not only wrestle at the highest level, but to succeed at it too. Man, what a chat. And thank you for being with us on this journey as the show turns one year old next week. The podcast turning one year old. I I honestly don't have any like big plans for it. I'm just excited to look forward to another year after that. I mean, everything we've done so far this year with the podcast has completely exceeded my expectations. The original idea, I mean, it still is the idea, but the original idea was just to take the audio version of these YouTube interviews that we had and make them available here so you didn't have to keep the YouTube app open if you were you know, walking your dog or running or working out of the gym or driving to work, whatever it happened to be doing. So it was like, let's make these an audio version. And here we are, a thousand reviews on Apple Podcasts, you know, currently and consistently in the Apple Top 200. Here we are. Um, and no complaints. So I, I don't have a ton of plans for the podcast anniversary. Although I think, I think maybe a slightly updated image for the show. Yeah, that one there, the one we have right now, what exactly am I pointing out there? I'm like, I'm kind of pointing under the logo, like, hey, look at that thing under the Chris Van Vliet Show logo. I just, I just think it needs a little freshening up. So why not do that as a little one-year podcast anniversary present? And, and thank you, by the way, for all the belated birthday presents. My birthday was on Kane's favorite day. His least favorite day, May 19th. Uh, So thank you for the belated birthday presents and the early podcast anniversary presents. 
Uh, and that would, of course, be these reviews you've been leaving on Apple Podcasts. But also thank you for listening on all the other platforms that you listen on. Uh, and thank you to Russ Bus 18 for this review titled, Keep It Up. Well, of course I'm going to keep it up, Russ Bus 18. I don't even use Apple Podcasts, he says. I listen via Spotify, but I thought you'd appreciate the review anyways. Your show is a great listen. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you. Thank you, Russ Bus. Thank you for listening on Spotify, but then coming over to Apple Podcasts to lead the review. Amazing. And thank you to everyone else who's been on the journey with us uh, and, who, you know, who seems to enjoy just good old fashioned conversations as much as I do. And that's what that's what these interviews are. That's what this show is all about. And that's exactly what we have here with Spike Dudley. And I have to thank Matt Taven for connecting me with Spike. Uh, Spike Dudley actually trained Matt Taven. So after I did the interview with Bully Ray and he told some great stories about Spike Dudley in there, if you haven't listened to that interview, it's epic. It's such a good chat. And I thought, you know, how cool would it be to do an interview with Spike Dudley? Fingers crossed, hopefully this can happen. And Matt connected us and here we are. So when the interview started, Spike goes, eh, how long do these things usually go? I said, ah, you know, like, like 30 to 40 minutes, secretly hoping we could let go for an hour. And he's like, oh man, 30 minutes, that uh, might be a bit, a bit much, but you'll hear here. When I tried to wrap up the interview, we, we just kept going. So what a guy. And he really is a groundbreaking wrestler in so many ways. And the crazy part about his story is he didn't even want to be a wrestler. He loved wrestling, but he was actually going to wrestling school to be a referee. And then they saw the potential in him. And I mean, literally, the rest is history. So he talks about being part of ECW and being part of the Dudley family, the epic matches he had with Mike Awesome, and the insane bumps that he's taken in his career including having to convince The Undertaker to choke slam him out of the ring because he didn't want to... Undertaker was like, no, I'm not doing that. And it was actually Spike was like, no, you, you've got to do this. It has to be different. We got to, we got to do something that makes it stand... You'll, you'll hear the whole story. Uh, we also talk about the nasty table bump that he had with La Resistance, which I'm sure you've seen on YouTube. I also asked him about the comparisons that Marco Stunt gets to him, and I was a little surprised by his answers. So... Yeah, you'll hear that. Also, you know, we get to the bottom of that infamous story that Bubba Ray Dudley tells about him and Shane McMahon um, and Bubba Ray calling Vince McMahon at three in the morning, Spike not realizing it was Vince and basically telling him about how high he was. We get down to the, like what really happened there. So ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for the legend himself, Spike Dudley. <laughs> Spike, thank you so much for joining me. You are very welcome. Where exactly are you right now? Looks like you're on like a wilderness journey here. No, Rhode Island. This is my backyard. Hi. So. Well, it looks very nice. What a nice place to be quarantined. Uh, yeah, actually, knock on wood. Uh, didn't get hit too hard by the whole quarantine thing um, in that sense. Both my wife and I can work from home and we've got nice area and yard and kids are not going too stir crazy so yeah we're, we're we're lucky in that sense well i appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this i know you don't do a ton of interviews so i appreciate your time for this yeah my pleasure when you say you're working from home what's work for you now uh i work with merrill edge which is a financial investment company 
And what my role is, is when people die, their assets, their accounts have to get transitioned to their beneficiaries or to the estate or to the trust. So my job is getting the assets to wherever they have to go. Wow. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, to me, it's fascinating because you're, it's, you're dealing with a lot of, of grieving family members going, Hey, you know, my dad left us X amount of dollars. What do we have to do? Uh, but it's, it's a completely, everything is different. I mean, you, you either have the grieving widow or the, you know, the, the kids or the squabbling family, or you have the estate attorneys, the trust accounts, uh, every call, every case is different. And it's a little bit of everything. It's financial planning. It's part psychiatrist part. You know, it's, it's, but to me, it fits my, my personality, my yeah, I find it very fulfilling. It's a really cool job. Did you have any sort of background in financials before you got this job? Nah, well, yes and no. I mean, when I got out of the wrestling business, I started to get into the financial world. Started off with insurance, like life insurance, which is a horrible job. But you have to get licensed with the financial, you know, with FINRA and all that sort of stuff. So in a sense, it was good because it got my, my license, my qualifications down. And after a couple of years of that, and that's just hardcore salesmanship, and I'm that's not my thing, but it gave me the the platform to be able to get into something different. So right. I'm licensed. I'm a, I'm a licensed financial broker. I can buy, sell stocks and trade and all that sort of stuff on the stock market. But financial planning isn't necessarily my forte. My forte is the transition of the assets from the deceased party to wherever they're going. Is, is there anything that you did in the wrestling business that might have prepared you for this? There's life after wrestling now. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's life experience. So, sure. I mean, maybe social interactions in a sense. But I'll, I'll be honest, every job has a lot of similarities, whether it's corporate in a suit or it's working at McDonald's or whether you're a wrestler. There's, there's a hierarchy. There's a food chain within the industry. And you have to learn to play the game. So, so I mean, yeah. are you are you officially retired then as a wrestler? Oh God, yeah, I've been retired for years. I mean, well, you know, you know how retirements work in wrestling, though. Yeah, no, no. I will occasionally come out and maybe referee a match or something like that for you know a group like the the top rope crew at Fall River. Um, I, I worked a lot with them when I got out of the WWF. So those guys are really, I'm really tight with them. If they ask me to come out and do something, I'll do something. I actually did a show with, um, with Bobo, with Bully, uh, a couple of months ago, just a very one-off thing. He was in town. Hey, do you want to come in and do a show with me? And I figured it was kind of my last chance to do a match with him. Right. So, yeah. So I put him on and I mean, it was, it was fun. We worked with them. I forget what his name was. Eddie Fatu's son. Um, Jacob Fatu? Yeah. Yeah, it was a tag match uh, with him and another local kid. It was fun. It was a lot. It was a lot of fun. So is that, as of right now, your official last match that you've worked? Yeah. I mean, any, yeah, <laughs> you want to call that a match? Yeah. It was, <laughs> yes. I would say my official last match was uh, two CWs, Farewell. Are you familiar with them? Yeah. Two CW on Syracuse. Mm -hmm. Really great crew. Loved working for them. They took great care of me. When they did their final show about two, I don't know, three years ago, I they pulled me out 
and said, Hey, you did our first mat, our first show. You wanted to do our last. And nice. I, I, I did that, but I would call that my official last match. You know, it's, I mean, what an incredible career that you had. Oh, and I appreciate that you're drinking a beer during this interview. That's amazing. I hope it's not offensive to anybody. Offensive? No, I'm doing it's right. Okay. I, just, I, I hope you're not offensive. offended that I'm not drinking one. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. So no, it's all good. When um, when you look back at your career, what are well, what are the when you when you see wrestling fans, what's the one thing that they usually want to talk to you about? Uh, did tables hurt? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like you get those typical questions. Yeah. Um, it, actually, the biggest, you know, the most common one, is it real? Is it fake? Which, I mean, to me at this point, is just a ridiculous question. But um, that's, that's I mean, I, I mean I, I'm so far removed. I don't get asked that very much. You know what I mean? Like the people I know or the people that I'm around, they're aware of my past. They don't think it was a big deal. It's something I did in my past. I, I don't get hit with it a lot. And I'm off of the whole wrestling media. I'm off of, I've been out of it for so long. I, I don't really get bombarded very much with it. So you're very much Matt now and no longer Spike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was a great run. As I say, great career, fun, 20 years doing my thing. But in my size, what I was doing, one was getting the crap beat out of me you can't do it forever. And then there's more to life. And, and I'll be honest, I mean, the saving grace really was my wife. Um, when I, we connected right towards the end of my career and, and she was just like, you're better than this because I was flailing. You know what I mean? Like I, I really was, I was working indie jobs and bartending and I, it was just going in the gutter really quick. And then she kind of just, Hey, time to snap out of it and do something. And I'll be honest, it, it was time. It was time. I, I mean, I, I'd had my run, but I was going down kind of a rabbit hole and it wasn't, the business wasn't fun for me anymore. Mm. And that was really the biggest thing is there's one thing about taking all of the bumps when you're into it and you, you know, you're gung ho, but if you're doing it kind of out of a masochistic, <laughs> yeah. you know, depressed state, it's, it's bad. So, I mean, in my, the tail end of my career was very nasty in a sense. Um, just doing stupid stuff for stupid reasons. And it was time to get out. So. Is there one particular bump that now every day when you're getting out of bed or when you're walking or doing something that you're like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, no. Cause I'll, I'll be honest. It, it, I know you can put together the, the little clips of all of my, the, the highlights and stuff. I was yeah. actually pretty careful. I, in a lot of ways. I mean, I didn't do anything. I didn't think I was capable of walking away from, uh, one thing that, that a lot of people either they, they, they don't grasp it or they don't see it is that I was 140 pounds in there with 250, 300 pound guys. They could be very careful. They could place me very well. Um, and I just, I, I did have a certain resiliency. I could, I could take a beating. I mean, but, um, you know, I've got my bumps and bruises, but nothing that's, there's guys that are a lot worse off than I am. So I, I yeah, I mean, I, I I walked away still in one piece. I mean, I, I'll be honest, the, the biggest trauma is more the head trauma. Mm. You know, it's not the body itself. It's the brain. It's the getting whacked over the head. Um, recall and, and, and memory and things like that are really shoddy. But I work, I try to work on that. Um, mm. 
But physically speaking, you know, my back is not great. <laughs> if I sneeze the wrong way or something, then I, you know, I, I'm a little banged up for a couple of days, but nothing, nothing terrible. I think what's so incredible is looking back on your career, what you did was very groundbreaking because in the nineties, there really wasn't anyone that looked like you. There wasn't anyone that was your size. So who growing up did you look up to that kind of had paved the way for you? Uh, I, well, I grew up in new England, Rhode Island. So I was a WWWF fan. Um, I'll be honest, my, as a kid, Bob Backlund was champ at the time. He was kind of my idol. Uh, but I, I, to be honest, I always kind of liked the jobbers. Um, Steve Travis, and I don't know if you recall that name. No. Look him up. Okay. A, a little run for a while. And I don't even know, he might have actually passed away. He teamed with Rick McGraw for a while, but he was a jobber. He was like Nesty Jones. You know, he'd, he'd win here and there. Um, I always liked those guys. Uh, Early, very early Jimmy Snooker in WWF times. Okay. You know, like his first heel run was crazy. Ray Stevens was crazy. Uh, Don Morocco, off the charts. Uh, I mean, there's there's too many names. There are, there are all sorts of guys that you, know, you idolize. My first poster as a kid was Georgie Animal Steel. Wow. In like fourth grade, I had it hanging on my door, and it was like him with the green tongue ripping up the turnbuckle. And I mean... This is that that was my passion was it was pro wrestling. It was, you know, that, that's so, what it was. But if there was no one that was around your size that was doing this at a high level, what made you go, you know what? I can do this thing. It was a series of circumstances. Uh, when I first went to a wrestling school, which at the time was, well, it's now <coughs> APW. From Roland Alexander at the time, it was different name. It was like Pacific Northwest or something like that. Uh, I was living out there in California, and I saw a commercial for a wrestling school. So I got into it with intentions of being either a manager or a referee. Oh, no intention whatsoever of wrestling. But the training was: we all got in the ring, and we all learned to bump, and we all learned to, you know, we we're all. I was taught the same way as a wrestler. But my end goal really wasn't to be a wrestler. Um, after a, I'd probably say a month or two, there, my first class, there was like 10, 12 guys. They're all big dudes in the sense they were all 200 plus and 300 pounds. Yeah. They had all dropped out. They, <laughs> like they, just, they all washed out. And, and I just kept coming back for more. And the, the trainer, his name was Rick Thompson, who was a, he was a worker in the 70s. 80s out of the northwest part of the country never made a big name but he worked a lot of the territories and was you know it was a staple he was the head trainer and i don't forget it was i got through like three four months of me doing this and going through it he just he looked at me he was like matt screw this manager you're fun to watch we're gonna make you a wrestler wow and i just went okay because i mean that really was the, the real dream you know and I, I just didn't think at my size it would ever be possible and I went, yeah. okay so whatever, I kept training. And then we had a, a our first show. And it's funny because our first show, the first show I ever did was headlined by Chris Candido against Sabu in a tables match. Wow. Uh, and the rest of it was filled up with this APW crew. We filled in the, the, the rest of the show, but the promoter, uh, Ron Head, and it was J.R. Benson, they brought in 
Candido and Sabu. And that was my first show. And I was in the opener match against Frank Dalton, who was a big dude, 275, 285. And to be honest, I mean, I mean, it was one of those things we rehearsed the match for like eight weeks. <laughs> you know? uh, but I pulled off some bumps and all that sort of stuff. And it was fun and it was good. And, you know, we had a good time. And then I worked the California scene for like a year, year and a half. And I, we, we put together, I put together a videotape of highlights and I sent them out to everybody at the time. It was WCW and then WW, it was still WWF at Japan. ECW, I I sent them to everywhere. Mm -hmm. I got all these rejection letters from everywhere, but then I got a call. It was actually at work. I was working an office job as a temp somewhere in downtown San Francisco. I got a call and it's Taz. Hey, we saw your video. Can you get to New York? (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) You got to cross the country. (laughs) So literally, it won't. Part of the deal, the, the job I was working, it was funny. It was, a, it was a, a company, it was a corporation. They had an office in New York City. So I went to my boss and said, hey, can you switch my job from San Francisco to New York? And they went, yeah, no problem. So I packed everything up I had in a Toyota Tercel, drove across the country, went to Long Island, New York. Wow. Got like I, I pulled into a hotel and an hour later, Bubba picks me up and takes me to the house of hardcore. And there's, you know, Taz and Perry and then and, and Mikey and Bubba. And it was just kind of like, okay, what do you got, kid? <laughs> and then uh, they, they, uh, they debuted me that Saturday night at the arena. And I worked every show till it went, it left. Wow. And, and, and that was it. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a matter of circumstances, really. I mean, back sure. to the question was, it was, uh, I was the right place, right time. No, I mean, well, Mikey Whipwreck had done his thing. Not that he was finished, but in the sense he had already done the, the little jobber thing. He, you know, Austin put him over. He was 160 pounds. I always say 60 because Mikey was always a little bit bigger than me. Um, but he, you know, he was kind of the original, that jobber guy that shouldn't have been in the, in the ring in the first place. Right. The only other person that was remotely was Ray, but he was still down in Mexico and he was just starting. They'd, he'd done the thing in ECW and it was just making the jump to WCW. Hadn't really gone. I mean, he was known, but he wasn't that huge mainstream star that he was. So at the time that I got in, really, it was Mikey, me and Ray were the three guys that were kind of like, and at least Ray had a physique. I mean, that was one thing. <laughs> the right. Yeah. Mikey and me, yeah. Sorry. But, um, but that was it. So, yeah, I, I think we w- certainly were groundbreaking material um, in that anybody that's entertaining can do it. Yeah. The, the first time I saw you was in ECW and you were in the ring with Mike Awesome. And oh, right. And I was like, I can't believe someone's agreeing to do this. Like, were there with that said, were there ever spots where someone's like, I want to throw you into the crowd or whatever it was. And you're like, I don't, I don't think I'm on board with this one. No, no. I mean, they didn't take liberties with me. You know, like nobody did. Well, a couple times, if you want to get into stories on that, I'll tell you that later. But um, for one thing, when I first got there after like two months, that's when Bam Bam put me over. And yeah. Did the throw. And that gave me a certain, 
or respect. I I also had Bubba. Bubba always looked out for me, and and, and always took care of me. Dreamer always took care of me, and Paulie always took care of me. If there was something I wasn't comfortable with, I'd just say no. But I can't recall anything too crazy that I ever said no to. I mean, it it was a measured decision. Sure. And I look at it and say, can I do this? Can I not do this? I never felt pressured to do something stupid. I will say the one time my first balcony jump, which was with New Jack at Asbury Park, we did the double fall. Yeah. Do, do you remember that one? It was yeah. um okay. That was the first time I jumped off something other than the ring. And I was scared out of my gourd. Like it was it was crazy. Plus the atmosphere is crazy. I mean it, 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 that double jump was I, I just want to say nuts, but it was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. Now I didn't say no, I thought I could pull it off. Yeah. But that one I was nervous about. I really was. But I fell off. I landed on Bubba's fat belly, and it was no problem. <laughs> and, and that's fat with a PH. Of course. Which yeah. no longer have. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, I had a certain, I, I don't know if it was respect, but nobody, nobody, the ECW crew was tight. You know, it was a really tight crew. Uh, hang on a second. Uh, and we looked after each other. And mm -hmm. it, 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 I mean, it didn't matter who you were, me or, or Mikey or whatever, versus RVD, the top guys, Shane, things like that. We were all kind of on the same page. And and I I never never felt any sort of thing of anybody ever trying to take advantage of me in any way, shape, or form. But then you look at some of these clips in WWE, and I mean, if someone's looking at a highlight reel of Spike Dudley, and you're getting choke slammed out of the ring by the Undertaker or Brock. I had to convince him to do that. Just you had to convince him for, to do that. For the record, he did not want to do that in any way, shape, or form. Wow. Um, not at all. He was like, Spike, that's crazy. And I was like, take, hey, come on. Like, one, it's a hardcore match. And I was relatively new. You know, that was probably within my first six months in WWF or WWE. Um, and I said, look, I can take it. I said, you know, just put me through the garbage can. You do that to everybody. I said, you got Spike. Like, I can take stuff that nobody else can. Let's do something different. Just choke Sammy before. He's like, no, it's stupid. And I went, no, dude, do it. It's okay. And, and yeah, to be honest, Taker is a totally cool guy. Tons of respect for him. He, he, he when I kind of had to twist his arm a little bit. <laughs> uh, but then we, we practiced it a little. He pulled out a, a crash pad beforehand and said, okay, let me just make sure I can control you yeah. a couple of times. And I'll be honest, it didn't, it, I it knocked the wind out of me. That was the only thing that it did, you know, and you know, that, that gut feeling, but yeah, yeah. aside from that, it was nothing, you know, that was, that was fine. The things that hurt are the little things that nobody knows or, or catches. What about so. what about this now infamous spot with La Resistance, which should have been pretty typical of you going through a table on the outside? They they were just they were young and and goofy and, and you know it's funny. I'd done the exact same spot with uh, Jericho and Christian about two three months before, mm. and it was the easiest thing in the world. But they knew to lift me up. 
And I had even, I mean, my dog, they're nice guys, you know, just they're green. I said, okay, I'm not going to stick my legs straight up. Yeah. Because that would look really, really fake. So it's on you, you two 250 pound muscle bound guys to pick up 140 pound me and just make sure that I'm cleared of the ropes. Yeah. And whatever, they get caught in the moment and they, they, you know, they didn't lift me high enough and my legs caught the top rope. So it whipped me down. And I'll be honest, I didn't feel it. That was nothing. <laughs> I mean, it was the most devastating looking thing. I should be. Yeah. Dead. I should have broken my neck. No big deal. It was, it was, it was nothing. Um, but that was them. That was their being in, inexperienced and probably, you know, it's one thing to give somebody a spot, but then to go work a match and then say, okay, here's this heavy duty spot at the end of the match. Mm-hmm. The adrenaline's growing, you know, and it, there's no big, I said, I don't, I never felt bad because one, it didn't hurt me. And two, they got their asses handed to them <laughs> because of it after. So, but I mean, it, it, you know, stuff happens. Stuff happens. For, you to say, for you to say that's nothing. I don't know if you're human. That's, that's incredible. Well, I mean, I couldn't do it today, but at the time, <laughs> you know, I, I hit, I hit the floor. It, you know what? It, it sounds crazy, but the, the head, when I, my head clipped it, that broke my fall enough where it was just like a three foot fall to the drop. And, and it was nothing. I mean, you know, you sell it, but it, it I could have got up and wrestled the two matches. Like, I mean, it was I really, wow. that was not a big thing, even though it's, you know, in this craziest thing, spike gets destroyed. It's like, nah, I could have got up and, you know, <laughs> kept going, but that's the business. Well, speaking of getting destroyed, you're a big reason that Brock Lesnar got over as much as he did when he first debuted. You made him look like even more of a monster than he already looked like. Well, that's one that I kind of feel bad on because the original plan on that was when he comes in and does it, he was supposed to do power bombing five times. And after the third one, I actually tapped out. I, I went, okay, Brock, I've had enough. <laughs> so if we look at the video, we can see you tapping out? I, I don't, I, if you really look, you might see it. But okay. I think if you, if you watch the full clip of it, he goes down, like after the third one, he goes down for the fourth one, like he's going to do it. And then he releases me. And somewhere in there, I don't even know how I, I just said, okay, I've had it. <laughs> I've <laughs> had enough. We just got to take a quick pause from this conversation to thank our sponsor for this episode, Bet Online. And there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day live on their website. Looking for something other than sports, maybe? Well, Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets that you can check out. So visit betonline.ag. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE for our awesome podcast network, BLUEWIRE, and you'll get a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Bet Online. It's your online wagering experts. When I interviewed uh, Bully last week, he mentioned that you know, there's a lot of similarities between ECW and AEW, and he said that Marco Stunt is the Spike Dudley of AEW. I, I don't know. Are you familiar with Marco's work? Uh, you know what? I'll be honest. I have not watched a bit of wrestling in a long time. Uh, somewhere I've heard that the, the name and the comparison, 
But I, I'll be honest, it, it's no disrespect. I just, I, I'm not in the business anymore. I don't really watch it. When I turn it on, whenever I've seen it, I just kind of go, eh, not my thing. <laughs> that's just, <laughs> you know, that's, but that's mean, a life that you used to live and that's it. Yeah, well, it's changed a lot. Um, what I got into it pre-KFA, you know, or, you know, when KFA was still in existence and yeah. my to me, it was an improvisational art form. Make it up on the fly. And that was where the, the spontaneity and the magic happened. And now today, everything is so choreographed that even if it's a cool thing, it just, I, it just doesn't grab me anymore the way it used to. And I'm, I'm kind of sad about that. I mean, you know, I would love to still be a fan, but I just... It just doesn't do it for me. And to be honest, I've got other things going on in my world, in my life, that it just, if I need a wrestling fix, I just go and grab a, you know, a Madison Square Garden 1978, put it on, something like that, you know, like, but I'm just not into today's wrestling. It's not my thing. Hmm. Well, speaking of Bubba, I'm curious, as a percentage, how true is this story he tells about you guys in the car with Shane calling Vince McMahon? He's told this story many, many times now. I've seen the cartoon. Um, it's it's 100% accurate. I mean, it was... Well, the cartoon's uh, a mean, bit different from the version that Bubba tells. Bubba tells at the end that uh, you asked Vince for weed because you didn't actually think it was Vince on the phone. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, hey, Vince, we're smoking kind, bud. What do you got? Or something. You know, like, I, I, don't, I don't even remember what the exact words were. But yeah, that was the, the gist of it. Was Tommy and I, we were sleeping in the back and, and then, you know, Shane, hey, Spike, here, talk to my dad. Vince is on the phone. I just, I'm waking up and going, fuck you, Shane. You, you, you yeah, Vince, yeah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent accurate. It's <laughs> <laughs> the comments on that uh, WWE cartoon are all, you know, this is the reason that Spike must have got fired. Oh no! I, I that that happened two years before the release. I think Vince got a kick out of it. To be honest with you, I mean, it was it was not a big deal. It was just it was funny. I mean, it was like four in the morning, and just hokey stuff, stuff on the road. No, that was not a reason for being fired. <laughs> Vince laughed. Yeah, like I was scared. Of the next day, whatever it was, the next time I saw him, I kind of shied away. He's like, "Ha ha, Spike, young man," <laughs> and that was it. You know, I mean. I always got along with Vince. That was not a big deal. How much did your um, career shift or change when the Dudleys left for WWE and you were still in ECW at the time? Well, a lot. Uh, well, I mean, actually, I wouldn't say a lot because, I mean, they were heels. I never, you know, since they combined whatever it was, like 96, I was always against them. So aside from taking away one of my main opponents, hmm. What I would say is it put me more emphasis on me as a singles wrestler. Um, and that was good for me professionally. You know, it gave me a little chance to kind of shine on my own. Um, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's so funny because you talk the Mike Awesome run, which is yeah. fun. Mike had tossed me around like the best of them. That was great. Yeah. Working with Rhino. Rhino was awesome. Loved working with him. But there's like little matches in between those that to me are the, the highlights of my career that are never, ever going to be 
Like which ones? There was a three-way with Super Crazy and Guido, which I think made it to TV. I, I can't even remember, but it was it was cool. I mean, it was just a really good match. It was a really good mix of hardcore and wrestling and, and, and things like that. Um, and more to the fact, at that time, after Bubba Devon left and Taz left, uh, Shane, I think, had gone out. You know, so there was a lot of, like, it, it, it pushed me into kind of this veteran ECW role which was, which was cool. I mean, I mean, I didn't, it was no, I just, you do what you got to do. You, you work with somebody, you, you work to get the, whoever you're in the ring with over and you move on. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think I learned a lot by kind of having to stand on my own two feet in a sense. Um, yeah. I think I had some good work during that time. Um, but I mean, they, I mean, keep in mind, they were always the opponents. I mean, I always until we went back to WWE and then we teamed up for a little bit. But I mean, the entire ECW time, I was wrestling against Bubba, against Devon, against yeah. Big Dick. It, it wasn't like we were working together, right? And when when you did have that run in WWE with them, I liked that you had like a you had the heel run. You were the boss. You were basically, yeah, and that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Whose idea was this to? I mean, your character got changed up quite a bit. You were the underdog for so long, and well, now you're you were this completely different character. What happened with that? It's kind of a funny story. I got hurt. Um, I think I had a spiral fracture in my leg, and it put me out for about four or five weeks, something like that. And uh, but it wasn't a terrible break. So while I was off. I got into shape and I got a little cut up. I mean, not, you know, nothing compared to these guys, but I got into shape. I had some definition and all that stuff. And when they put me back on the road, I, I, I came back to Vince and I just said, Vince, look, I'm on my own. You got a cruiserweight thing. Yeah. What more do I need to do to show that I, you know, like I'm loyal, I deserve a chance. And he went, okay, but let's come up with something. And, and I'll be honest, I don't know if it was Paulie, I don't know if it's Bubba. Some I would say, okay, let's do a heel run with Spike. And and they put me with Ray. And, and be honest, Ray's just the phenom. Ray, Ray's like, without a doubt, one of the greatest workers of all time. Um, knew how to work the angle. Knew how to do it. And uh, and we did the thing. And and Bubba and Devon were willing to step down and put me in the as a highlight, you know what I mean? Like making yeah. the focus while they step down a little bit, which God bless. I mean, that you know, they're the best. They, they always have been, they've always taken care of me and they were more than happy to do it. And, and that was a fun run. Um, I, I, it's funny. I, I want to say it was like a year or two. I did a, a autograph session. Chavo junior was there. And I remember thinking like that time when I was working, cause that's what started off was me doing the singles run with Chavo and Chavo Sr. Do you remember that? When Chavo of course, Sr. Yeah, yeah. won the title, which yeah. was a great run. Like, it was a hilarious thing. But it was the first time I had to work offensively. Mm. Because, like, I'd never... All I did was go in there and get beat up. And if I got lucky, slip a nut shot, hit the acid drop, one, two, three. But the rest of it was just me getting beat up. Yeah. Um, then I had to go and put out a little bit. And it was fun. I mean, it was different. It was it was a lot of work for me in that sense because I wasn't used to it. But 
um, working with like Chavo, with Ray, uh, Kidman, Jamie Noble, all of those guys, um, I kind of had to step up the game a little bit. So you, it, it was a fun run. It really was. Are, are you aware of the fact that, you know, you have paved the way for a lot of guys who may be five, eight and under, whose weight begins with a one and not a two? Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt wouldn't be doing what they're doing now if it wasn't for someone like you. I, I'd love to take credit for it. I mean, I think it would have happened one way or another. Um, if I had any role in that, I'm honored. I really am. But I think the one thing that I stress when I was with, with uh, top rope wrestling, when I was teaching and things like that, is know your role. Even though I was 140 pounds, I never tried to wrestle like I was a 250 pounds. And I think that's one thing that gets lost in the, these choreographed things is that little guy, big guy, it still has to make sense. Just because I can body slam a 250-pound guy doesn't mean you should. I, you get what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I, I mean, I really do. I, I, I made, if I open the doors for other guys, great. Just make it make sense. <laughs> Tell a story, you know, like, right. like make it. There's a whole reason why Davy and Goliath works, but if Davy isn't Davy, Davy's trying to act like Goliath, it's it's not going to work. And I'll tell you who taught me that: Bam Bam Bigelow. Hmm. Like that was, I mean, I ran with him for like two months during that whole throw in the in the in the audience thing, but he taught me so much about how a little guy should work, you know. And and and, and it was just, it doesn't matter. You get the crap beat out of you, but. He told me this one time, he goes, I should never have to pick you up off the floor because you're always on your knees trying to get up. Oh, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it wasn't a matter of you can sell, but if you sell dead, it's too much. As a little guy scrapping, you're always trying. You're always reaching for the ropes. You're always trying to pull yourself up. And, and that was the story that, that I, I understood my physique, my size, my role. I wasn't supposed to win. I wasn't supposed to beat anybody. I was, it was just, here's this guy that's not in there that, but he's trying his best and he's surviving, you know, and I occasionally pulled out a couple of wins here and there. So when you went to TNA, whose idea was your name change there to brother run? I think that was Jared, um, Jeff. I, I, I'll be honest. I have nothing against TNA, but that was not a fun time for me. Um, I just didn't like the company in a sense. Like it was, it was a cluster. There was no direction. Um, I don't know who came up with it. I, somebody just hey, run and I went, okay, yeah, that's fine. I, I think it was Jeff to be honest, I, but I, I, I don't hold me to that. It might've been, it might even been me being stupid and saying something like that. But um, I think Jared, I th I'm pretty sure that Jeff was the one that kind of said, what do you think of this? And I just went, okay, whatever you're paying me. I don't care. Call me whatever. I just feel like but it's a yeah, missed opportunity to have a better name. Brother Runt's not a not a great name. No offense. No, it wasn't. No. But I, you know, who cares? I mean, it's, it's my philosophy at the time. It doesn't really matter. They were still all saying Spike when it came down the aisles. So I mean, you can't change that. Um, I, I and at that point, I was pretty much mentally I was done with the business. I, I, you know, I, I was out there doing it because that was the only thing I knew how to do. Hmm. So, yeah, I'd go to Orlando every week and do a taping and then 
But um, and again, it's no knock on TNA. The guys were great and things like that. But I just I, I didn't like I didn't like the way the company was run, the direction, the lack of direction. Um, I'll never forget. It was one time that kid from the Wonder Years, the the, the little guy, um, the older brother from the Wonder Years. I oh yeah, like, I know. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Like, I we're down there at Orlando Studios, and he comes up to me and he's like, "Okay, Spike, I'm producing your match or whatever he called me. Run, I'm producing your match." And I'm looking at him, going, "Like, I know you." I was like, "Oh, wait, you're the guy from the Wonder Years." Oh, you're an actor. What the fuck do you know about pro wrestling, other than being a fan? Like, I mean, I'm just, and here's a guy that's producing my match and he was a nice guy and i'm not trying to diss him personally but that was if you're not in the business you can't tell other people in the business how to do the business it just yeah. it made no sense to me so um it was just weird it was really odd it was really weird how it, how it was there something specific that made you sour on the business or was it just a collection yeah, of things released, over the years getting released from new york screwed my head up Beyond what was their reasoning for releasing you? Well, they released everybody. They did the massive thing. They just did a giant turnover. Mm-hmm. And then, and that was it. I mean, it was business for them. It's, it was what it was. But during the last couple of months, I could kind of sense it. And I had offered a number of times. Producer, trainer video editing like i was coming to him going look i really love this company i want to be a part of this company i know I, my time in the ring can't last forever what can i do after the ring and i was told point blank like you're fine you're good we're, we're gonna take care of you we you know if you want to do the editing thing we can take care of that and da 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 and you get a phone call hey you're let go it, and it, 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 it emotionally, mentally destroyed me. And maybe I was a pussy for not just manning up and going, okay, that's the business guys get let go. But it threw me in a tailspin. And I was drinking and partying and running my mouth and being bitter and angry instead of just sucking it up and moving on. So, I mean, what they did was business. Um, I took it personally. And that's taking it personal is not good for business. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I, I, I did not react to it well and I did not handle it well. And, and, and it really it put me down in this tailspin of, you know, I went to TNA for a couple of years and was miserable and then did the Indies and destroyed myself until I just kind of hit rock bottom and said, I've got, I've had enough of this. Goodbye. <laughs> and then I said, my wife came along and, and then it started a whole new world and, and life is good. So, I mean, it was a great thing for the longevity of Matt Heisen, but for Spike Dudley, it was, a, that was it. I mean, that once I got released, that, 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 it screwed me up really bad for a good number of years. But if that hadn't happened, you might not be sitting here now with the job that you have now and everything that you have, you know, going for it. I would not have my wife. I would not have my two kids. I would not have a, right. As you said, a stable job. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm 
ecstatic that I never have to go on an airplane again. <laughs> I'm ecstatic that <laughs> I'm living in my town. I got my, you know, like I honestly, life has turned out great. Um, but those couple of years were, were rough. Do you think that, you know, we talk about you being groundbreaking and, you know, kind of breaking the mold and, and setting an example for some of these guys now, do you think that with that said, there's a spot in the WWE hall of fame for you? I, I, it's not my decision to make. I don't know. Um, I, I, could, I don't Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I don't know whether I've, I've pissed off too many people or offended people or, or I just, my work rate was not hall of fame. I, I, I don't know. I don't care. I don't make those decisions. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, you know, like I was very happy for Bubba and Devon. Yeah. yeah, I really was. And I actually watched that. I watched their speech and I, it was very moving that they opened it up by talking about me and putting me over. And that was, you know, I, that, that brought a tear to my heart. Eyes, wherever tears come from. But um, <laughs> I, uh, well, for that, me, Hall of I, I don't know. That's not, I don't think. Well, I think you're very deserving. You're very deserving with the career that you had. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. If it happens, great. If not, okay. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to change where I am in life now. <laughs> so, <laughs> which seems like a pretty great place. And I want to be super respectful of your time. I know you've got kids to look after, and I do. Yeah, we got to watch the end of School of Rock. We started it last night, and they were getting into it. Well, there you go. So. <laughs> This has it's been Sonic great. The Hedgehog. Have you seen? Oh, news what a great Sonic with Jim Carrey! Unbelievable. Yeah, you probably watched it like forty-eight times, but <laughs> <laughs> so this has been great, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And um, you know, I know you don't do a ton of interviews, so it's it's great to hear where you're at and and see how you're doing. Yeah, life is good. Life is grand. Just I, I wish I could tell you more about the current business, but I don't know anything about the current business, so. Now, <laughs> I hope. I mean, I hope everybody's doing well and that the business thrives. It must be tough during the virus. How well, they're still having live shows? shows every week with no audience. With no audience, yes. Yeah. So WWE is taping at the Performance Center, and AEW is taping at Daly's Place, which is attached to where the Jacksonville Jaguars play. And AEW's been putting wrestlers in the crowd so that there's at least some sort of noise in the audience. That I, I'll be honest. That's a great idea in increasing work rate. Did you ever watch Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler, the uh, the I Quit match with nobody in the audience? Yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Okay, so do you remember watching these guys work, punching, kicking with no sound, no anything? It makes you work harder. So, I mean, I, I mean, if anything good comes out of it, I would say, I hope it increases work rate. Mm. You know I specifically I mean? remember that empty arena match. And I remember rock versus mankind halftime heat. And do you remember <laughs> that one? And like, yeah, I do. Yeah, you hear yeah, everything, yeah. every punch, every stomp. Right, 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 right. And it's not even a question about beating each other up. It's just making it, making it work. Yeah. You know, like audience covers up so much. Yeah. Whether it's a live, just a, you know, a house show or whether it's on TV, having that crowd around can cover an awful lot. Cause I mean, I remember 
don't mean to carry on, but no, please. we used to talk nonstop. Like we'd tell jokes to each other, like while we were punching each other on the face. <laughs> hey, why did the chicken cross the road? Boom, boom. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, you can't do that when there's no audience, you know? Right. So, I mean, it got, I mean, hopefully something good comes out of it. So that's cool. Looks like you finished your beer too. So we basically ha- hung out that, for. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go get a refill. We hung out for one full beer. Well, I start. I had a couple of sips before we came on. Okay, so. and you drank slowly because you were telling stories. There it is, down the hatch. We're good. We're good. But um, hey, do me a favor. Let me know where this thing airs. I will. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, it'll be on my podcast. I'm not very techno savvy. Well, I'll text you and let you know. But uh, again, I I really appreciate your time, Matt. And I'm so glad to see you're doing well. I am doing great. Tell Taven I said hello if you talk to him. And uh, yeah, keep me posted. And I hope I hope you get some ratings or something out of this. I don't know. I don't. What do you get out of hits or views or? Yeah, views. Yeah, views. Downloads. I mean, for me, it's just a chance to hang out with someone who I have a great amount of respect for. And then, you know, if other people want to watch it, that's cool, too. Be careful because now they're censoring Twitter. So you gotta <laughs> don't 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 go too far to the right. They might pull you off. Okay. So just I'll just try to be right down the middle. <laughs> what a chat with Spike Dudley. Thanks for hanging out with us for this conversation. Please take a screenshot, tag me, let me know you're listening. Uh, I retweet. Uh, or restory those all the time on Twitter or Instagram. If you don't follow me, I'm at Chris Van Vliet. So share it on there. Share it with your friends. Let people know that uh, that this even exists. I'm sure there's still a lot of people that have no idea this exists. I, I don't blame you. So um, please help, help spread the word. And I found it so interesting that wrestling is just a chapter in Spike's life. I mean, it, it ended and he's kind of closed the book on that and like pretty much open up a new book on that one and he's moved on to other things which i i find really interesting because a lot of wrestlers wrestling's not just part of their life it it becomes their life for the rest of their life and there's no judgment here either way you know if you're one or the other it's just so fascinating to see that spike dudley has gone wrestling was the thing i did i loved it that's great and now i'm doing this other thing that i love and that's great too and it's just so nice to see that he has this great job now he looks back very fondly on his time in wrestling, but ultimately he's looking ahead. I mean, I, I guess he looks back fondly at everything except the TNA time. That was a that was an interesting story there. So if you haven't subscribed to the show yet uh, on whatever platform you listen on, please take a second right now to subscribe because we've got lots more interviews coming up soon, like Deanna Parazzo, who's going to be joining the show next week as well as another guest to be named later. I, I, I don't even know who the guest is, but we have another guest that's going to be a big chat. So uh, Deanna's coming up soon, and then someone else. And this quote I saw this week really spoke to me. You always hear you know, about glass half empty, glass half full. This quote says, people who wonder if the glass is half empty or full miss the point. The glass is refillable oh man that's good that's good enjoy your day hope you enjoyed this one and we will see you next week Woo!